We've got this. Hey yo, hey yo, hey yo, hey yo. Hey yo, hey yo, hey yo. We've got this. Hey yo, hey yo, hey yo, hey yo, hey yo. We've got this. Finding a way. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Cervical Wellness Podcast. I'm Danelle Barbara Randall. Today, I want to continue the conversation around devotional cooking, a continuation from last week's episode. And, you know, as I've been in this enrollment period for Kitchen Hearth Heart Heal and really um, just like infusing this idea of the devotional cook into my life, because that's what happens when... (laughs) I open up enrollment for anything as I'm sure other online entrepreneurs can attest to this. It's like suddenly your life becomes that for a whatever period of time you're in the enrollment and then in the teaching of the program. Um, You know, enrollments for programs are very much like mm, our own learning curve and lessons. Uh, to prepare us for the teaching of the program. At least that's my experience and it's what I have um, heard from other online entrepreneurs as well. And, you know, when I first launched the program back in the end of May 2022, I really focused on the habits of cooking and how it can benefit and does benefit our vitality and well-being. And I focused a lot of my copy and marketing and conversation around the fact that so much of our modern culture has turned their focus on fast food and the development of you know, fast food apps and Grubhub and DoorDash and these things that have made it so easy for those of us in Western countries. And you know, I'm just speaking of being a person who lives in California in the United States, easy for us to not cook, to not go grocery shopping, to not have to think about our food no more than like 10 minutes before putting an order in. And while that has led to convenience for people who work full time or for, you know, parents and and mothers who work full time and have availability of food um, easily at their disposal to feed their families, I personally have witnessed the degradation of our health, of um, the family unit, of our communities. And that's really what I focused a large portion of my conversation last time I launched this program. And I have a lot to say about that subject matter because, you know, the historical concept of the dinner table and of the, or just like seated around the fire to have a meal at the end of the day has a long, long, long history of being the thread that holds family and community together. And in my, in the last episode, I read the story of what I call the vital hearth, 
And so if you haven't listened to that yet, I, I recommend you listening to the last episode because I, I share more about the historical context of cooking for ourselves or cooking for um for our vitality and the well-being of our family unit and how having that be dissolving now um, I really am curious as to where our culture is headed and just the other week actually um, what day is it so today is Wednesday last Friday I had made a bunch of food for a friend of mine who just gave birth at the end of January. So she's a first time new mother. And uh, she had a meal train set up. And so if you don't know what a meal train is, it's where, you know, people sign up to bring food or send meals to those who need support in feeding themselves. And I've been a part of meal trains for those who are experiencing deep grief over the loss, you know, the death of a loved one, for someone who has been sick or ill. And most notably, here in the United States, meal trains for new mothers are growing in popularity. So I signed up for, uh, you know, to bring food to my friend, and she does live an hour away, but I... I decided I wanted to, you know, take the time to drive her over some food I made. And I spent time creating a very nourishing butternut squash soup. It was like a blended soup with broth that I made from chicken stock and vegetables. Um, I baked her cookies. Um, I got her a whole roasted chicken and made some chicken broth infused rice she doesn't eat beef or red meat so um you know I would have ideally brought her beef bone broth but I may do with the the chicken bone broth so you know on the meal train sign up they did have the option like hey these if you don't want to make food like here are some restaurants that we like and we're you know happy to receive DoorDash um be at this time of the day and these are our criteria which I'm like great you know some people don't have time to cook and I get it or it's not a priority or whatnot but what ensued actually shocked me friends so there were I'd say 16 people signed up on this uh, signed up on this meal train and as I was texting my friend to let her know that I was on my way because again it was an hour drive um she's like oh like Danelle like are you sure you don't have to drive that far like you're welcome we're well you're ha- we're bleh. you're welcome to just pay for something that we order you can just Venmo us the money and I'm like no like I'm coming and I may do this soup there's like multiple meals here you can freeze some um, and she told me that out of every single person on the meal train, I was the only one to bring her home cooked food. And I was shocked to hear this. Honestly, I was like, what out of all of these people, like n- even people who live nearby, like in the same town, like they didn't bring you food 
like food they cooked themselves and she's just like I'm so grateful like I really look forward to home-cooked soup and I can't wait to eat your cookies and like she was just like gushing over the fact that um I chose to cook food and you know friends I get it I get that our modern society has made it so our lives are so full and so busy that most of us don't even have time to think about cooking food for ourselves, let alone for someone else, you know, something like taking the time to go grocery shopping and cook and do the dishes for food that we're not even going to eat ourselves. Like, I understand that that can be a burden, but I was the only one out of 16 people and a large portion of these people do not have children of their own. I know who they are. I know for a fact that they don't have children. I know that they have jobs, but I have a job. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I have the job of like three people actually between marketing and um, you know, taking care of clients and, you know, doing the, all the back end and maintenance of having a business and managing a VA and all these things. But I just, when she told me that I was the only one, I, I got really sad and I started to think about like, what does it mean when we no longer even have time to cook for new mothers? Because even Historically, you know, we, yes, we live in a different society and we live in a different time. And I, I know that, but, you know, like even like making a quick three ingredient casserole where you just like throw things together with a can of cream of soup, cream of something soup and bake it or even, I don't know baked potato (laughs) I'm like there I'm just like there are things that are really not that hard to to cook Uh, and and if we can't even feed the new mothers the mothers if we as a as a society can't come around and support the mothers and if you're a mother or a new mother listening to this and you're like well I didn't have anybody cook for me I'm sorry that that you had to experience that that you didn't have community support around you because that's one thing that my I said to my friend I was like I hope you feel supported like truly like through this food I hope you I like I my wish and blessing is for you to feel supported in this journey of transitioning into new motherhood and I've had some other people comment when I've shared this on Instagram like well you know I birthed six babies and I didn't have anybody cook me food and I don't want to be a burden or I would see it as being a burden on others and I'm like friends this is do you do you hear yourself saying these things like at our most vulnerable place as women having just given birth to have in our mind that we are a burden to to ask for and receive nourishing home cooked food to heal our bodies post birth like i'm sorry like i think that is very sad to think about um and 
it's not that I feel sad for you saying that. I feel sad at the state of our culture and society that home-cooked food is seen as such a burden or as uh, something to discount and dismiss and instead relying on restaurant food or takeout where they use you know seed oils and they don't you know change the the oil vat to fry things in as often as perhaps we would like or you know just using really low quality ingredients and having it come in like a styrofoam thing and it's all limp and cold and who knows how like the mindset of the people who cooked it and if you take kitchen hearth heart heal you will learn about the the qualities of water and the water in our food and how that can be uh, imprinted with information that we are then putting into our bodies and so to just think about how we as a society are at this place now where it's like we just want to be able to push some buttons on an app and, and pay a premium to not nourish the people who need to be nourished the most, which is first ourselves, like second, our children and our family, and third, the people of the community who really need it around us, such as new mothers. I I am left aghast. Um Perhaps it's because I come from a family with a pretty strong food culture and I know that that is a blessing and that, uh, I, I don't even want to say it as a privilege, it's just like how it's supposed to be, honestly. That's my belief. Um, you know, both of my parents cook. Um, you know, I grew up watching my grandmother cook. We always ate food together at the dinner table. It's very important for my father that we had dinner together every night. Um, you know, I wasn't really allowed to watch much TV or go on the internet. Like, you know, this was late 90s, early 2000s. And so like AOL chat rooms are all the rage. And um, this was before even MySpace. But my parents limited my technology use. Um, I would, like I said, I was only allowed an hour of TV a day, and I would usually watch Friends <laughs> um, or Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I don't know. I'm probably really dating myself here. Um, but what I would do is I would just sit at the counter and watch my parents cook. Like what my my both my parents worked full time. So my mother would would work full time and she would come home um, around 5, 530. Uh, and I was home alone, you know, after school when I was, you know, preteen teenager. So then, you know, after my homework was done, I would sit at the counter and we'd talk and I would watch her cook. She would chop things and put things in the oven and on the stove and... I realized that that is not a very common story. And so for me to feel this sense of, I think I'm going to make up a word here, like aghastment. <laughs> I don't think that's a real word, uh, but <laughs> I want to use it. Over people not being willing to cook for our friend, some of them like they're her best friend who just had a new baby. Uh, perhaps 
you know, these people didn't grow up in the same setting as I did of having parents who cooked. Now, the thing about this whole conversation is this conversation is very emotionally triggering for many, many people. And I didn't realize this until I started talking about it. And when I share my opinion about Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub, which I'm going to say I have actually never used in my entire life. And this isn't necessarily like, oh, I'm better than you if you have used it. I live out in the country. I live like eight minutes out of town from like a little town I'm in. Um, And it's like 25 to 30 minutes to like the major like city which isn't even like that big of a city. So these sorts of apps wouldn't really work for me because the amount of um, fees that I would probably have to pay for the how far they would have to drive just is not worth it to me whatsoever. But I think even if I lived closer into town, I, I just... I like there's something energetic about it that I can't bring myself to align to that practice. And again, this is like I'm not judging anybody for using these apps. I'm not judging anybody for choosing to have takeout every day because we do what we can. We do our best, or at least I hope we're doing our best. But when I think about what these sorts of applications are doing um, to our society and the way we relate to food and culture, which food and culture go hand in hand. Um, I think there's even like a whole line of academic study called food and culture. If you like really consider about what our modern food culture is becoming, with the advent of like highly processed foods, which aren't even like real food, combined with the abundance of takeout availability, I, I really start to question about what this is doing to the health of society, not just the bodies of the people within the society, but the health of our mind and the health of our community and our culture. Oh, this feels really heavy for me to think about. And, you know, as I mentioned before, these, this conversation can trigger a lot of people. Um, (laughs) As I'm even saying all these things, I'm like, oh, Danelle, like, what are you setting yourself up for? But I think I think we need to talk about it. I think we need to talk about what we are doing to the health of all layers of our being, from our own body and mind to the body and to the body mind of our family unit, which is being destroyed left, right, and center. Uh, to the body-mind of our cities and our um, local communities, to the body-mind of our nation and the whole world. I mean, I, I want to just 
kind of pull my hair out sometimes when people are like, oh, like global warming, global climate change, uh, all these things. But then they like get takeout four days a week with like plastic bags and styrofoam and plastic utensils or single use plastic things and they just throw them in the garbage or the amount of food waste that happens. They're like, oh, what about the marginalized people and the people who are underprivileged? I'm like, okay, what about all the food you are wasting when there are people who don't have food? Like just the mismatch of values and ideals, whereas like the food and how we are engaging in our food isn't even considered in the greater implications of what we are standing for as a society and people or the people who are like oh like don't eat meat because it's bad for the environment but then they're okay with having processed foods that are made in plants and factories that use fossil fuels and have emissions dumping stuff into the rivers I mean, it's just, this isn't to say that vegetarianism or veganism is wrong or bad. That That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is the, uh, the incongruency of values and food and the way we approach our food and the way we engage with our food and how we utilize food food in our daily life as a people really, really matters. I had a whole other vision of what I was going to talk about for this podcast. Um, (laughs) I've kind of gone off on a little bit of a rant here, but it's because I'm so passionate about this. One of the things that I... Or not one of the things. Another thing that I um, get very confused about and try so hard to understand people's rationale with is when I have women who want to work with me who are like, I have had abnormal pap smears or this sort of diagnosis for years and it's not healing. Like, what can I do to help myself? And I'm like, okay, well, tell me about your food. Tell me about how you eat, what do you eat, where do you get your food, do you cook, and they're like, then these people, these women tell me, well, I don't really like to cook, so I, you know, get stuff from the hot food bar, or I order takeout, I'm like, okay, well, first thing is, is you need to start cooking your own food, because that way you're in charge of what is going into your body, which creates the foundational building blocks of your body and it's what fuels the mitochondria within your cells to create the energy to be able to actually heal your body so let's start with first do you know how to go food shopping and a lot of people don't even know how to go food shopping like they don't know how to think about their food in a way to plan ahead to then have an idea of what to buy Uh, And then to go shopping in a way that doesn't cost them an exorbitant amount of money that makes it more sustainable. And just just even me saying that to these people, it's just like, well, I don't want to do that. I just can. Can you just tell me like what supplement I need to take? And I'm like, 
I can't help but roll my eyes a little and be like, oh my gosh, you are missing the most important piece, which is what is going into your body that your body will become. And when we lean on takeout and when we lean on fast food and when we lean on food that has been cooked in a way and by people who don't really care about the energetic nature of it or even the nutritional quality of it. They're just maybe more focused on the flavor. Like we are setting ourselves up to not be successful in our health and vitality journey. And I'm just going to say that how it is. If you lean on takeout and fast food and easy, convenient, convenience foods for yourself, and you are dealing with a health issue, it is going to be very, very difficult for your body to produce the energy and to create the, um, the like cellular structure it needs to regenerate, to heal, to allocate your immune system to combat HPV or whatever, if you have another viral infection, to um, uh, keep your hormones balanced, these sorts of things. I feel very passionate about this because I care. I care about our world and I care about the people in it. And I care about our culture thriving. And I don't know about you, friends, but when I look out my window driving down the street, maybe it's just because I'm, I don't know, here in California, um, which, you know, you could take me saying that whatever way you want. Um, I, I don't see our culture thriving. I don't see people thriving. I, I don't see uh, people in a vital state. I don't see people who feel good. And obviously there are so many other factors that play into this and i know that food deserts are a thing i know that um you know the inability to pay for healthy foods is a thing i know that even governmental programs like uh WIC, which is here in the united states um like they don't even let you buy certain types of foods, which is bizarre to me. I'm pretty sure that like there's a new rule that like you're not, you can't, you can only buy so much meat, um, which that's a whole other conversation. I know that people are struggling for time and for wherewithal. And I know people are struggling for energy, <laughs> which is ironic because when we eat good foods, we actually have more energy. Again, it's about fueling the mitochondria in our cells, which produce ATP, which give us the energy to function and to do things. Like, I get it. I am not blind to the reality of the situation for many people. And yet, I do see laziness and I do see the leaning into convenience because it's available. 
And just because something is available and easy to access doesn't mean it is good for us. I'm like thinking about what I just said and I'm like, oh, no, like, are you going to piss people off? I, I don't even care at this moment. I'm like, people are sick and dying. And someone needs to speak about the foundation of what our health and vitality is based upon. And that is what we are putting into our body. And the way that we can control what we put into our body is to come back into the kitchen and the hearth, to come back to cooking over the stovetop, to planning, to using some of our mental energy and labor to think about our food. Like if we spent 30 minutes less on social media or Instagram or 30 minutes less watching an episode of Netflix or even like choosing to miss like 30 minutes of a sports game to then think about our food like there are seven days in a week what are four meals that I can make that are perhaps larger so I can have leftovers for lunch what are what can I eat for breakfast even maybe eating the same thing every day for breakfast, like that's okay. We don't have to have something fun and new every day. Like we can have the same thing every day for several days in a row. And then looking in your cupboard, looking in your refrigerator, be like, what ingredients do I have? Okay, what ingredients do I need in order to cook these foods? If you don't know what to cook, the internet is an incredible resource of recipes and anytime I look up a recipe, I always put simple or easy in the keyword search. So that way it's not like a crazy recipe where you need 30 ingredients. Uh, so like think about what you like to eat. Do you like chicken? Do you like pork? Do you like beef? Are you a vegetarian? Uh, okay, like what are some things you like? Tacos or maybe lasagna or... Um, baked chicken or like, I mean, I can go, there's so many things, hamburgers, all these things. Like, what do you like to eat? Look at what you have in your cupboard. Make a list of what you don't have and what you need to have that meal. Take, you know, an hour, one day, maybe even less if you're efficient to go buy the things and set yourself up to cook your meals. And you can even spend like just one day preparing all the food, food prepping. Uh, a lot of people don't want to take the time to do that, but it, it makes it so much easier in the long run. Uh, one thing that I do is like, you know, I defrost all the meat because we, we buy meat in bulk and, and we freeze it. So I defrost all the meat for the week on Sunday. I pull it out. And then usually on Monday, Monday evening, um, while I'm making dinner, say we have a bunch of ground meat, I will portion out all the ground meat into what I'm going to make. So sometimes we make a lot of 
burger patties uh, and eat them in different ways. So I'll even like make the burger patties <laughs> all at once. So that way on Tuesday or Wednesday, I don't have to, you know, make the burger patties. I could just pull them out of the fridge and fry them up. Also making any sort of casserole. I feel like casseroles are a lost food. They're kind of associated with like the 50s housewives, but it is like a one pot meal, friends. Casseroles are amazing. I'm a huge advocate for casseroles. You can get, uh, what is it, like an eight by 16 casserole dish. You can even find them at the thrift store a lot of the times. And all you need is a protein, a vegetable, maybe a couple vegetables, mix it in with a cream of something soup, cream of mushroom soup, cream of celery soup, cream of chicken soup. I mean, you can find cream soups. Mix it in with like a couple of eggs. You mix the cream soup with some eggs to give it solidified. Mix all the center stuff in with that. Pour it into the pan. Put some breadcrumbs on it or like crunched up crackers and bake it at 400 degrees for like 40 minutes and you will have multiple meals. Casseroles are so easy. Again, look up easy casseroles. Put in some of your ingredients you have. Like if you already have chicken and maybe broccoli, look up easy chicken and broccoli casserole. (laughs) Super simple, super simple. And then the final suggestion is to get an instant pot. If you don't have an instant pot, and you want to start making easy meals that are filling, that just take simple ingredients, and that you can, you know, reheat, get an instant pot. You can literally just throw ingredients in there and turn it on, and then you don't even have to think about it until it's done. And then you have, like, I've done, like, chicken and rice and vegetables. I've done, like, pulled pork and cabbage. You can make soups. You can make stews. I mean... You can even reheat food in there. It's the Instant Pot's amazing. You can make um, hard-boiled eggs, no issue. Again, the internet is a beautiful thing and can look up easy Instant Pot recipes with XYZ ingredients. So the thing about the practice of devotional cooking is we have to retrain our brain away from convenience. And that's really, really hard. And I acknowledge that that's hard because as a human, the human species, you know, we had it hard for so long, for millennia, for like even like 100,000 years of through evolution. I mean, difficulty was, was our life. And so any sort of convenience, you know, we lean on because we're like, oh, this feels really good to our nervous system. But at this point in our evolution and our culture, the convenience is what is what is hurting us now. And to choose to put a little more thought and a little more effort and a little more time, like allocating some time to this will make all the difference in the way you feel in your body, in the culture of your household, of your community. And this is a ripple of change. It's, it's not even change. It's like remembering the way it was before the culture of convenience seeped into our society. 
And as I have adopted this in my life over the last several years, I have noticed a huge difference in the way that my marriage is, in the way that my friendships are, you know, inviting friends over for, for a home-cooked meal or bringing food to people who need it, like my friend who just had a baby, or like I'll bake a home-baked pie as a gift and people are always amazed at the pie. <laughs> <laughs> and I still hear about pies months later. People like, Danelle, remember that pie you made me? Oh my God. It's like they feel the love. There's like a different quality of love there. So I know that this episode has been me kind of being on a soapbox about cooking, but it's because as a integrative health and wellness coach, I truly believe with every fiber of my being, that it's one of the most important things that we can institute in our lives for our vitality and well-being as an individual and as a society. And there are so many mechanisms at play that are working very hard to pull us away from this central point of our culture, which food and nourishment and home-cooked meals have been a central point of our culture for as long as humanity has been around. So it's time that we reclaim this and it's time that we remember the power we have within our life with the foods in our lives. So I'm not saying y'all have to grow your own food or raise your own cow. I'm not saying that you have to buy every single thing organic and, you know, check all the boxes in, in that way. But I am saying we need to go back to buying groceries and cooking ourselves a meal. And if you don't know how, then it's time to learn that this isn't a form of oppression, which is what I used to think cooking was. It's actually an opportunity to give my body and the bodies of those I love the gift of true nourishment and love in the way of food. <sighs> okay, friends, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to learn more about the way of the devotional cook, I invite you to check out my six-week program, Kitchen Hearth Heart Heal, The Way of the Devotional Cook. And I go into in-depth into the ways to think about cooking, how to formulate your life to incorporate cooking, how to cook, because there are certain things that maybe you don't know how to do, and more. The uh, link to the information page is in the show notes. And I, like I said, I didn't actually get to talk about what I wanted to talk about today. Um, <laughs> so there, I'm going to be continuing this devotional cooking conversation, as I mentioned in um, the last episode, that this is going to be a series. And today, this is what I wanted to talk about. So with that, friends, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your time awake until you sleep and start a new day. And I will talk to you again soon. Be well, friends.
Thank you so much for joining us today, friends. If you want more cervical wellness information and content, check out my website, cervicalwellness.com, or give us a follow over on Instagram at cervicalwellness. Please share this episode if it felt right and true for you. And until next time, friends, remember, we've got this.